What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years, and not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says people are strange when you're a stranger. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. And I've got a story for y'all. All right. You do? Let's gather around the campfire. Yeah. Well, it's more of an anecdote. Oh. Actually, it's not even that. Anyway, <laughs> here's what it is. You, you've, here, you've built it up so much and now I'm already bound for disappointment. No, please. So a while back... I was writing a video episode mm-hmm. uh, for Forward Thinking about whether robots are going to take our jobs. And if you take haven't seen that video, yeah. yeah, you should go watch it. It's on YouTube. It's a great, great episode. Uh, it is, it is. But we have a spoiler for that video. Yeah, there is a spoiler. Actually, this we say this in the video pretty early on. It's not the end. Yes, they will. Yeah, robots but, will take our but, jobs. Yeah. They'll take your job. They'll take our jobs. Yep. They'll, they'll take all the jobs. Mm-hmm. But... In doing the research for the episode, I came across plenty of good reasons for thinking that some jobs are much, much harder to automate than others. Sure. 
And one simple rubric for separating jobs into robot-friendly and robot-unfriendly is this. Is the job easily described in an explicit list of instructions that can be executed over and over? So in other words, could it be something like pick up blue box, open blue box, put orange sphere in blue box, close blue box? Right. That's easily explained. Mm -hmm. And it would be something that you could program as a list of actions for a robot that has very simple image recognition software. Mm -hmm. It really just needs to know what a blue box looks like and what an orange sphere looks like. And And then you're pretty much good. And how hard to touch those things so that they don't shatter or whatever. Right. And it's it's just going to do the same things over and over again. There aren't going to be a lot of changing external conditions, or if there are, they might not matter necessarily. Mm -hmm. Jobs like this are pretty easy to automate. And they they if if they have not already gone to machines or computer programs or robots... They probably will soon. So a lot of examples of this might be jobs today in like data entry or data processing or jobs like telemarketing. A lot of people think that these kind of jobs, because they're so repetitive and you can make clear lists of instructions, can pretty easily be done by machines. Other jobs are very robot unfriendly. Uh, They're harder to automate because they require things that are harder to predict. Like you can't write a program – that does unpredictable things. I mean, programs That's are pretty much by the, def- yeah, yeah. They're yeah. the definition of predictable. And we've talked about random number generators and how difficult it is to have a truly random number generator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 If, if, if you say to a robot, literally any person who exists in the world could walk through that door. How do you deal with that person? The robot's <laughs> right. going to go like and just shut down. Yeah. 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 So the, these jobs are the one, the hard to automate jobs are the ones that require creativity, strategizing, uh, reacting to unpredictable circumstances and stuff like that. And there are some jobs I thought it was interesting that sound like they fit into the first category, but they actually fit better into the second. Well, and there are also some that sound like they would fit in the second, but seem to fit just fine in the first. Like you mentioned telemarketing. Well, telemarketing involves having conversations with actual people. And you might think, oh, well, a robot would have different, wouldn't there be some unpredictability? But often in those cases, there's a very specific script to follow, whether you're human or robot. And you have a very, it's essentially kind of a, it's a, it's a very simple decision tree, right? You're trying to get the person on the line to say yes or, or no in some cases. And if, as long as it continues, it can keep going down that pathway. And we've even seen some interesting, clever uses of natural language recognition to create situations where a person is not entirely sure if mm-hmm. the if they're actually speaking to a human being or a robot telemarketer. Yeah, and that might be some cases where even if it is really a human, they're they're like trying to get the human to behave like a robot. So th- these kind of robocalls, like that that's prime territory for automation. Sure, uh, yeah. sure, but especially um, also if it's low stakes, you know, because yeah, right. the, the people, the bosses, like aren't terrified about what's going to happen if the person being called has a bad experience. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just they it's, don't care. It doesn't non-factor. matter that much. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, but let's take an example of something from our favorite movie. Back to the Future Part 2. Right. So in the opposite category is stuff that seems like it might be easy to automate, but actually it would probably be really hard to automate. Uh, Like robot servers in a restaurant. Yeah. So a robot server in a restaurant, what would it have to do? 
seems like you could basically come up with a simple list of instructions like take drink orders, bring drinks, uh, take the food order, bring the food, check the happiness levels at the table, bring the check, uh, process payment, and then you're done. But actually, being a server in a restaurant requires hundreds of constant little improvisations. Sure. Uh, plus more athletic nimbleness than any robot today is even close to capable of. I mean, mm-hmm. can you, can you imagine with how clumsy robots are now, something that could like clean tables and move quickly back and forth between a kitchen and a table well, without running into people? Keep, and, keep in mind also that most robots are very, very good at navigating static environments. So in other words, you program in the knowledge of what the environment is, you know, how it is and give the robot some ability to sense its environment. It can then navigate around obstacles. But in a, in a place like a restaurant, you have a constantly shifting environment. You've got people getting up and leaving. You've got chairs that are moving. So you have a robot that has to have really good pathfinding technology yeah. to maneuver its way through a constantly shifting environment. That's really hard to do. Uh, sure. But there's another factor that we have considered yet, yeah. uh, which is, you know, in, in defense of servers, we know that you guys are not robots. Yeah. There's other stuff that you're doing than just taking the orders and bringing the stuff. Exactly sure. right. And I think this might actually be the biggest problem with the idea of a robot server, which is that servers need social intelligence. Good ones do. Yeah. yeah. Well, this might be the biggest issue of all here because a server in a restaurant isn't just a food delivery machine. Right. A good server makes people feel welcome, makes mm-hmm. them feel comfortable, uh, uses charm to like upsell drinks and specials and appetizers, uh, can explain things about the restaurant and uh, answer questions about the menu, mm-hmm. explain things about the food, ex- describe what something tastes like, and then especially can – sort of like calm complaints and help people get what they want, understand what the people want and make them feel happy. Like, can you imagine, let's say you're out with your family and, you know, your great aunt, she has a complaint about her chicken piccata. Can you imagine a robot server being able to make her feel happy and like make her feel like her complaint had been properly dealt with? I can't imagine anyone making my great aunt feel happy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, but especially not the the same kind of software that, like, answers your telephone calls. (laughs) Exactly. Like, when you call the the insurance company and, like, that thing is what's trying to, like, make you feel good. (laughs) Or maybe it's the chat bot that only answers answers any any uh, message with a question. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm not happy. Why do you think you're not happy? Right. It's the doctor. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. So in the context of robots taking our jobs, I think this also means that in addition to creativity and improvisation, another type of job that will be safely human for a while are jobs that have a strong demand for good social intelligence. Sure. So what does social intelligence mean? I mean, we, we sort of gave an idea there, but how would we define it? I would say one thing is that it means something along the lines of being able to read social cues, to perceive and understand emotional states, and to intentionally manage and trigger targeted emotions in others. Right. In other words, in order, they, it has to be able to navigate social situations in a way that appears to be natural and does not make things worse, right? Doesn't make someone feel awkward or embarrassed or 
ill at ease for any reason, whether because you are communicating with a an obviously artificial construct, which already for many of us is uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. Some of us, we we and in fact, humans are pretty flexible creatures. We can adapt fairly quickly if we're willing to. Uh, sure, sure. And and some of us, I mean, I suspect many people listening to this podcast, for example, probably find it charming. Right. Uh, the, the the novelty of that kind of interaction. Although, really, like like after a while, you'd be like, I just want not burned chicken piccata. Just right. bring me the chicken. Yeah. And, and some of us might actually prefer the interaction with a robot <laughs> as opposed to a human being. That's true. That's true. I yeah. have days where I'm not sure that I can do this list of things that we're talking about here that is grouped under social intelligence. <laughs> oh, that's true. Well, but I mean, we all have to practice our social intelligence skills all the time. Oh, sure. Yeah. No, this this is not I mean, something that we it's think n- it's is... not something even humans are always perfect at. Right. No, there are plenty of times where you might be wrapped up in something that's going on in your life and you don't pick up on social cues that otherwise you would notice right away. Um, there are plenty of times. I mean, I certainly have been guilty of that because I'm <laughs> I'm always wrapped up in my own mind. Uh, so, you know, when we're when we're aware and when we are capable of seeing it, then that's one thing. But machines, they don't have that innate ability at all. Right. No. You have to build that into machines. And now there is an entire emerging field yeah. of artificial intelligence that is dedicated to this problem, to the problem of helping machines understand human emotional states and manage them as best as possible and sort of all the other things we think of as social intelligence, you know, impression management and and uh, navigating complex social scenarios, mm-hmm. not being annoying, right? You know, all, all these weird <laughs> things that they so, don't come naturally to machines, right? And and you know, this is important not just for robots that are specifically designed to have social interactions, but robots that are just going to be around humans. You know, they're especially l- consumers, right? Because, right. Because you know, people, you, robot industry people are kind of used to having to program a robot by typing code into a thing sure. and, you know but but consumers yeah like it, to use Siri and or- it- Kind of. And it may be that, that the robots that you as a consumer encounter, it may be that there's no direct interaction, but they still, those robots still need to have that social intelligence to understand how to navigate through while being as unobtrusive as possible. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one of the many things that we have to take into consideration as robots take an increasingly more prominent role in our lives, along with the idea that the robots have to be designed in such a way that they are not likely to cause harm to people through their normal operations. I mean, this is why, like we've talked about before, with big industrial robots, typically there are huge safety rails all around them because these are just machines that do the same set of actions over and over again. And if you let a team full of preschoolers r- run around them, you get then- a bunch of preschoolers welded to a metal wall. It's not good. You don't want that. So this we're we're talking about the social equivalent of that same thing. Yeah. You don't you don't want the social equivalent of welding preschoolers to a wall. I'm not sure what that looks like, but I kind of I kind of want so Can someone please make us you a need web to go sketch to, about that? I'll take you to my next family reunion. Okay. You will be able to experience it. <laughs> no, here I think here's the 
the real world takeaway, we're going to have robots in our homes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's pretty clear. We yep. already do. Yeah, yeah. we already so. might have some a Roomba or something like that. More and more, we're going to be incorporating robotics and artificial intelligence into our home life. Mm-hmm. And it actually matters that these things are not causing emotional stress and annoyance for sure. us. Like yeah. making our lives more unhappy by not knowing how to behave themselves. Oh, right. right, sure. Yeah, it's a great point. And so there are entire research departments dedicated to this particular aspect of artificial intelligence. And in fact, there's one that's right down the road from us. Right here at Georgia Tech. They've got a socially intelligent machines lab. Yeah, we'll talk about one of the robots that they've worked on a little bit later. But uh, I've had a chance to visit that particular lab. Yeah, it's pretty darn cool, guys. (laughs) Don't mean to brag, but it's pretty neat. Even as even as a University of Georgia graduate, I can appreciate (laughs) this particular Georgia Tech lab. Uh, So Let's talk a little bit about what it means for robots to actually possess social intelligence. You touched on this, Joe. You were talking about the ability to pick up on those social cues. So I would I would say that a socially intelligent machine has to be able to observe, analyze, and respond to humans accurately and within the proper context of the situation. So one example, and I've seen this as uh, particularly examples in Japan, robots that are part of a hotel check-in phase. Oh, uh-huh. so you come in and you, you need to get your room. Uh, you would want that experience to be efficient and pleasant and probably not reliant on too many assumptions because that could get socially awkward depending upon what the nature of the hotel visit could be. Uh, right, sure. You wouldn't want, for example, you know uh, – I'm like, Sir, I'm, that you have a lovely daughter. This is my wife. Yes. <laughs> that could be awkward. That kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. That's that's one of the tamer examples I could give. But yes. Uh, but And context is really important. So let's say here's another example. I, I've actually, you know, you, we've talked about, I'm not sure if we talked about on this podcast, but there was a design for a flying drone that's meant to encourage joggers to run. It was to keep pace with joggers so that they have they feel like they have a running buddy. Yeah. So, you know, now that's a simple version of a robot, but imagine that we have a more advanced one that actually gives verbal encouragement so that you can continue to run. Now let's imagine that said robot veers off the path and into a memorial service at a cemetery. I think saying you can do it, get on up there, keep on moving Pick at a memorial service, that, yeah, that might might not go over so well in the social situation that is a memorial service. So when we're talking about social intelligence, we're talking about not just responding within the situation the robot was intended for, but in broader situations. Uh, Sure. And I think also, side note, this means that we need to teach all robots in the future about graveyards and yeah. funeral practices. I think and about uh, why they're cool. I th- yeah. yeah I've, now I'm just seeing yeah. a bunch of robots listening to the Smiths. And <laughs> <laughs> this robot says, hey, baby, let's go hang out in the graveyard. <laughs> I, I'm feeling better and better about the lyric I picked for the beginning of this episode. OK. Uh, OK. So in addition to understanding context, I think another – crucial part of social intelligence is the ability to incorporate new information. Yes. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Because, you feel to learn. Right. Like when we interact with people, we don't treat everybody the same way. Mm-hmm. I mean, because they don't, not everybody wants to be treated the same way. You treat everybody else. You learn different ways to interact with different people based on 
what your relationship with them is and what their preferences are. Some people like very jokey interactions. Sure. And some people are a little more businesslike. Yeah, there's uh, entire fields dedicated to this as well. And it's interesting because the, a lot of the learning behaviors I've seen have concentrated first on something a little simpler because when we start getting into uh, social interactions, that's a really complex and, and chaotic field. So, I mean, if, if you feel stress in social situations like social anxiety, a lot of the stress you're probably feeling is it has to do with the complexity of the social oh, interactions that we have sure. and yeah, your yeah, fear being, that you're not meeting expectations. Right, being unsure that the choices that you're making are, are good choices. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, it, and that's a great point. Now, obviously, uh, the the robots aren't going to be experiencing social anxiety, but they could end that up. That we know of. That we know of. But they could certainly encourage it in other people if they if the robots are not behaving in a way that the people were expecting. If they have said something and the robot seems to behave in a, in a completely counterintuitive way, that could really cause some issues. Oh, yeah. Well, I was just trying to communicate the complexity. Like, sure. Right. Yeah. Even yeah. us humans who are pretty good <laughs> at social interaction have enough trouble with it that sometimes we can get anxiety about it. Absolutely. How much worse for a robot? So a lot of the, the learning I've seen has been uh, oriented to teaching a robot to perform a series of tasks by performing them for the robot. Actually, the mm-hmm. one at, uh, there's one at Georgia Tech that does this, where you could have a robot and it, it goes into observation mode and right, watches right. what you do. Mm-hmm. So you could pick up, let's say that you've got a, you know, kind of going back to that example of the, the sphere in the box. Let's say you've got a sphere on a desk and a box in the desk and you open up the box you pick up the sphere, you put the sphere in the box, you close the box. The robot will observe this and then be able to repeat those steps. Mm-hmm. And even if if you've designed the robot properly, it might be able to ask questions like, does it matter what how I pick up the this thing? Does that matter? Mm-hmm. Does it matter how I close the box? Does it, if it's four flaps, does it matter which flaps are closed first? Mm-hmm. Is there a sequence? Uh, right. If it were a cube that you were putting inside the box instead of a sphere, does it matter which side of the cube is facing up? Perfect. Exactly right. So that's that's a building block. Not to make it a weird, <laughs> stupid pun, but that's a building block for the kinds of interactions where a robot's starting to get into more complex situations, such as. This person is exhibiting behaviors that indicate that they are in a happy mood. So what is the appropriate response for this particular person when they are in a happy mood? Maybe it's playing that person's favorite upbeat song because it's going to enhance that happy mood. And then that's what the robot ends up doing. Uh, these are, you know, it's going to take these, these basic steps before you get into something so complex as, all right, now we've got two people, two people the robot has to interact with. If we're talking about a home robot, it might have profiles for each member of the family, for example. But it knows that person number two is not really into music. So playing songs aren't going to have that same emotional effect as for the first person. So it may have to build an entirely different set of interactions, just as we humans would kind of intuitively know from our interactions, like what you know, works and doesn't work with the people in our lives. And you start to realize, wow, this is, this is tough. This is a, a non-trivial challenge in artificial intelligence. Uh, absolutely. Let's talk about some of the teams and some of the, the robots that are, that are 
taking these challenges head on. Sure. Yeah. So we've got a collection of different robots. These are these are mainly robots designed specifically to have social interactions with humans. Yeah. And lots of we should say that lots of computer programs and robots have some elements of this. Yeah. Um, I mean, typically you're not going to be interacting with a robot that's just designed to be social because what's the point other than a novelty? I mean, typically social intelligence is a feature of a robot that is, is intended to do, to do something, something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, except for, I guess, therapy bots. Yeah, that's yeah. true. So, therapy bots would be sure. a great example. Yeah, I, I start to think that in some of these, some of these cases, we're heading toward a future like in Futurama where we have Robots built to be hobos or gamblers right. or whatever. And you think, why would anyone ever build a robot to do that? But we are doing that. Hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. So one robot that I actually watched this adorable video yeah. earlier today was this robot called Jibo. Yep. Had you heard about this one before? I have. I, have I, I had seen pictures. I had not seen the video or read about Jibo, but I had seen photos of Jibo before. Okay. So this is nothing super complex. No. Jibo is just supposed to be a social robot that's really designed as a kind of around-the-house helper. So imagine kind of an embodied Siri yeah. in a way. Okay. Yeah. It can track faces yep. and recognize individual household members, take pictures, record voice reminders, um, and do a lot of the stuff you might have like apps on your smartphone. Yeah. Do. It can even do things like um, like sort of like a similar uh, feature as FaceTime mm-hmm. where – you are in one place, one of your family members is somewhere else, they are using their smartphone, and then Jibo just projects their face onto its face. So you have a a direction to look in, and it's an actual physical thing. It's not something you're holding in your hand. You're looking down at Jibo's, you know, quote-unquote face, which is really kind of a round screen. Yeah, it's this, like, uh, it's this kind of friendly eye. Yeah, and okay. it has a camera in it, so it can, it can quote-unquote, see uh, that allows it to do the tracking. No, it doesn't like walk around the house or no. anything. It's sort of on a stationary base, but you could pick it up and move it around. Yeah, it's about it with you. A little more than five pounds, I think. Oh, yeah. Wow. And the thing about this is nothing about this robot is like crazy mind blowing. You know, it's not like uh, doing anything all that weird. It's sort of a cuddly smartphone or a cuddly Siri right. kind okay. of thing. It You can talk to it. It'll talk back to you. It tries to uh, to be friendly and fit in around the house. Right. So it's supposed to kind of provide a lot of those features that you would find in a smartphone, but in a way that is more socially interactive. Sure, sure. That's And that's a little bit more relatable because looking yeah. at your smartphone, although I, I think that we all have certain attributes that we give it, we don't really, you know, name them and no. end. No, I'll never name that phone. <laughs> it knows that what it did. Phone. <laughs> phone. Uh, so the next one we wanted to talk about is uh, Pepper. Okay. So Pepper is, according to the company that makes it, uh, Aldebaran, uh, is the first humanoid robot designed to live with humans. And it's a conversational robot. And it's supposed to detect and react to emotions, kind of like what we were talking about earlier. It can move about on its own, and that's about all it can do is have conversations move around <clears throat> autonomously so you don't have to direct it. Um, and uh, it watches your facial expressions and your body language for social cues to your emotional state, and it pays attention to your word choice. 
to try and get a handle on what kind of mood you might be in. But it's, I guess essentially builds an index of words that you are more likely to use when you are angry, perhaps of the four-letter variety. Huh. Yeah. But it, it is meant to have these social interactions and responses mm-hmm. so that it has these these appropriate responses for whatever mood you happen to be in. You know, I hate to sound cynical, but I wonder to what extent, especially early versions of these kinds of robots, are going to be, again, like Siri, not in what they do, but in how people treat them. Mm-hmm. Because I can't remember the figure, like some significant percentage of what people say to Siri is just profanity like they're just they think it's funny you know or, like what will siri say if i tell her to do this rude thing you know uh-huh. my favorite was siri where can i hide a body yeah and the yeah. and the response was the nearest quarry is three miles to the <laughs> east and i'm like that is amazing <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, it, it's that novelty factor of before you get really used to something and before something works extremely well, I think that we're going to be treating these robots like like robots. And, yeah. and you know, it, it's like playing a de- text-based adventure and just like typing in weird things just to see if the programmers thought yeah. to, yeah. to yeah. program Put Frodo in. inside Thorin. We, yeah. Then we, we reach, <laughs> we, we'll reach the point where we'll get more and more movies, and this is already the case, but we'll get more and more movies that give us an emotional attachment to robots. Oh, right, right. So we'll see that more and more in the pop culture. And then gradually the technology will also reach that same level where we will start to have emotional attachments to these robots beyond the the what you might call superficial ones that we have now. Like there are people who, if, they're, if their Roomba were to get damaged, would feel genuine emotional uh, stress about that. Oh, sure. Not, yeah, not yeah. just related to I need to replace my Roomba, but more like a member of the family has been hurt kind Correct. of thing. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. And uh, I think that Jarvis from the Iron Man movies is a is a really good example of that. And there is a robot called Emospark that was kind of reminding us in, in the research of, of that sort of Jarvis character. Right. Yeah. So this isn't really a robot. Right yeah, now. this is more like a an artificial intelligence that lives inside a cube. <laughs> so, because uh, the cube is a cube, it, it, you could set it on a shelf, and uh, but it's a you cube. Could open it up and let the cinnabites out. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Cinnabon. Mm. <laughs> Had a little Homer Simpson moment. Uh, but no, it is like Jarvis in that it feels almost like it's a disembodied artificial intelligence that can inhabit a space within your home. So. So imagine you've got this cube. The cube is what contains the, you know, it's the hardware that contains the the software that runs this EmoSpark robot. Uh, the EmoSpark robot can sense and interact with its environment through things like Bluetooth and Wi-Fi. It also uses webcams and microphones and a connection to your smartphone. So this is what gives it that that window to the world, and uh, it can. Uh, re- recognize people. It can look at facial cues again to determine moods. It actually maps your face against 80 different points and tries to figure out your mood based upon your expression. Huh. Okay. So, um, yeah, this is kind of an interesting uh, design. If you want to take a look at the emo sparks, it does look like this kind of, you know, uh, uh, Cenobite meets Tron cube thing. And uh, yet... You know, it's it's one of those that could potentially have 
this sort of natural interaction. You know, we, we are seeing this kind of stuff in the homes already with things like, like the Xbox and PlayStation controllers that allow for voice control. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of the next step when, where it goes beyond a passive system that's trying to recognize voice commands and then respond to them and have one that can actually have some form of communication back to the person who is issuing the commands in the first place. So it becomes not just a list of commands and then responses, but an actual communication, a conversation that leads to whatever the outcome the person hoped for was in mind. Yeah. Uh, And I I wanted to talk for a second, uh, going back to the stuff that they are working on at Georgia Tech Mm -hmm. uh, in their socially intelligent machines lab, because they're they're kind of working on more the the building blocks of a more practical household robot uh, mm-hmm. and and how people are going to be interacting with that because uh, part of creating an ease of interaction between consumers and robots is going to be making robots that can learn new tasks with a minimal effort on behalf of the owner. Right, so in other words, teachable. Yeah, uh, right, right. Sure. You don't have to sit at a terminal and type. 800 lines of code so it can open up a can of cat food. Yeah, yeah. And kind of the the first half of that was what we were talking about earlier with, with that unsupervised learning, mm-hmm. wherein uh, the, the robot is watching a human complete a task. And, you know, so even if it doesn't have any idea what the objects in this task are, you know, it doesn't know what if it needs to set a table, it doesn't know what cups and plates and food are, mm-hmm. but it can be taught to know what those things look like, where to place them in a table setting. Um, right, and- that, that plates come first, food comes later, otherwise <laughs> people are unhappy. Right, right, sure, exactly, that kind of stuff. And when you break it down into those kind of steps, it becomes a relatively easy thing for a robot to learn how to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's really only half of the equation because this, the second half uh of, of how humans naturally learn how to do stuff is being able to ask questions of their teacher. Mm-hmm. And so, and that, that's what they're calling active learning in robot circles. And it's, it's letting the robot ask questions of the human teacher while it's being presented with this new task that it's watching. But that's a trickier question than you might expect. Like having a robot know how to ask the question to figure out what it needs to figure out. Right. It comes naturally to us, but it doesn't necessarily come naturally to machines. Right. Oh, sure. You have to you have to teach a robot uh, when it's socially permissible to ask a question. And and furthermore, how to ask a good question. Yeah. What does yeah. the question mean? And then what does the answer mean? Oh, like yeah. To, to ask a good question, you have to understand what relevant information is to sure. know that you need it. Right. Yeah. And, and in fact, the examples, the, the robot we're specifically talking about is called Simon. Oh, right. Uh, the robot um, – but yeah, and I got to see Simon. That Simon oh, was the cool. one I was talking about specifically. I got to see Simon. Uh, didn't get to see Simon really in in full um, in full robot mode. But I, I had a great conversation with uh, Henrik Christensen, who is the head of robotics over at Georgia Tech, uh-huh. and he was telling me all about this approach. And it's so interesting, the idea that the robot can start to build this kind of of database this index of information of the various things in its environment the relationships between those things uh which ones are meant to be used in certain ways it's it's learning in a similar way to the way humans learn mm-hmm. but it's but it's already got a huge step up in that it's got a basic 
grammar, syntax, vocabulary that it can follow. Uh, it doesn't have to learn the language. It just has to learn, you know, and it has to be able to learn how to interact with its environment. And granted, even that is going to be limited based upon what the programmers anticipate, right? There may be, and in fact, there will be situations that are unique to every home that a programmer could not anticipate. And in, in some cases, I'm sure there will be times where it'll be very difficult to explain to the robot what something is for or how it's used or why it's there. Mm-hmm. It'll be tricky. And, um, you know, it, the, the, the question to then is how do you address those, those outliers, things yeah. that are outside the normal experience? Yeah, how do you yeah. explain to the robot how to use your Furby? <laughs> <laughs> why are you explaining that to your robot? <laughs> I mean, other than the fact that that would be adorable. <laughs> I, I just okay. I just answered my own question. Yeah. No, now I'm thinking about it, and I totally want a robot to interact with it. The robot Furby. and Furby are plotting against you. <laughs> <laughs> They're having conversations deep into the night. Uh, uh, but but so yeah, uh, this this lab at Georgia Tech is yeah. laying some of this really cool groundwork um, for for you know. I, I, it sounds like a lot of these other robots are are kind of fun, but aside from the the interesting fact that they exist they're they're maybe moving towards something like being a therapy bot or being able to interact with a human uh mm. doing household chores and stuff like that but i mean yeah 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 i mean all I, the pieces are kind of out there yeah sure. I, I think all these are are sort of making steps in the right direction mm-hmm. though at the same time as impressive as all this is we recognize how big the gap is. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, between like, this and like Rosie from the Jetsons. Yeah, sure. yeah. The best socially intelligent robots today are nothing like a human. And another question is, do we want them to be? Yes. Mm. Like if we, <laughs> so you say yes. Yes. I don't know. I, I, mm. I think the question might be, um, should socially intelligent robots be like well-mannered humans or should they be a different kind of entity? No. <laughs> no, I, I personally, uh, I well, I don't think I, I would not define what a socially intelligent robot should or should not really be like. As much as I joke about it, but well, no, I mean, I know we're not like setting the rules. I, I guess what uh, I'm asking is, what do people, what, what do most people really want? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that I would be creeped out by something trying to interact with me as a human, or as it thinks or was programmed to think that a human would would interact. Well, uh, you know, I, I think that it may be that we define like a subset of behaviors that we expect from and are comfortable with as far as uh, a robotic entity is concerned. So things that, you know, these are the kind of interactions that I think will be fine. They're very straightforward. Uh, you know, outside of things like the robots that are meant for therapy or uh, of, of one nature or another, those obviously you need to have more of a kind of comforting uh, approach. But for robots that we're having interactions with uh, on a daily basis, like if it's a robot that, uh, for example, Uber has famously invested a lot of money in autonomous cars. Mm-hmm. You would want that interaction to be pretty smooth and probably pretty quiet. If I know most people who have complained about Uber, it's that listen, when I get a when I get in an Uber car, I don't want you talking to me. I just want you to take me to the place where I wanted to go and then I want to get out of the car and then I want to be on my merry little way. Um, don't uh, remind me that you're a human. <laughs> yeah. See, I don't have that particular interaction. I, I I'll talk if they want to talk, but I don't want to initiate conversation because I figure this is someone who 
interaction with I can hardly day. believe that about you, Jonathan. It, it's once in a while I'm able to be considerate <laughs> of other human beings. But at no. any rate, but the, but this is a point, right? That where where in this particular context, with where Uber would have autonomous cars, which are technically robots. I mean, that's essentially mm-hmm. a robot. How do how what kind of social intelligence do those robots need in order to be able to uh, do their their job and do so in a way that is the the most satisfying experience to the customer? Well, I've got an analogy for household robots and whether or not we should expect their social intelligence to be like that of humans or to be a different kind of thing. How about dogs? I mean, we love dogs, but you don't, there's the difference between a well-behaved dog and an ill-mannered, badly-behaved dog. But a well-mannered dog doesn't act like a human. It's just a different kind of entity. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if well-mannered robots we would expect to be just a different kind of thing than humans. Yeah, I think yeah. I think it'll also depend on the form factor. Like if the robot is a humanoid robot, would we expect it to have more human-like traits? Oh, would, yeah. Oh, man, a, a humanoid robot that acted more dog-like. Would or, be, not necessarily dog-like, heaven forbid, but at least... cat-like uh, <laughs> would, would be no, pretty I, awful. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> but, well, well, but, no, no, I, I, I was thinking about that, too, and I'm I'm not sure... I I'm not sure how comfortable I would be giving a robot any orders in my house. Like I I don't know. It's it's a very basic thing that I I'm not sure if I could in good conscience say, "Hey robot, go make me some toast. I've got this really important Facebook article." Well, to when read. you put bread in a toaster, do you ask the toaster nicely to toast your bread, or do you just push the button and walk away? True. That that toaster is just a slave to your <laughs> demands. Yeah. My toast it, demands. I'm yeah. just saying. Like, well, like, no, but I can see what you're saying in terms of uh, of the emotional situation. Like, if it were too humanoid, mm-hmm. right? I, I certainly wouldn't want a robot to do my bidding that was indistinguishable from a human because I would feel like I was ordering a human around. Which is I mean, cool. that would be creepy. Yeah. So. I want so many of those robots. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to be more serious, though, uh, going down this this pathway of, of you know, let's, let's get a little philosophical. It's also possible that we could have these very socially interactive robots that people would feel comfortable talking to and confiding in, in ways that they might not with another person, particularly if there's like a problem that's weighing on their mind that they want to express, but they don't feel comfortable talking about it to anybody in their circle, their, their support group. They might want to talk to a robot, which if that happens, and I assume it will happen, the the next logical thing that will happen is people will design robots specifically to get information from folks. Uh, sure. So, sort of like um, monitor your children, Barbie. Um, yeah. Or or you know uh, <laughs> or spy upon your employees to find out who's actually leaking corporate secrets to your. Oh, so you, you plant know. a robot employee among them that sits at the lunch table. <laughs> No, all you have to do is you work at a big company and ev- and everyone at that company is told, hey, guess what? We're making this awesome robot that's going to help people at home and everyone who works here gets a free one. Tell us what you really think about the boss. I'm just saying like free robots. Like if 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 we were offered a free robot, I'd likely be one of the people saying I will take that free robot. Mm-hmm. Can this free robot carry me the way home? Because <laughs> I don't know that I can carry the robot home. <laughs> and one of us is going to be doing a lot of the work. So yeah. I want it to be the robot in this case. You could call an Uber. 
But at any rate, yeah, get that <laughs> autonomous car yeah. come up and let me and my robot buddy. Then I'm outnumbered. I've got two Who's robots. Your friend? <laughs> You're but, in a Johnny cab. But yeah, the point being that that I mean, there are actual people who have have brought this up, who have written papers on this subject. The idea that if we get to a point with socially intelligent robots where we feel comfortable enough to confide in them in order to receive comfort, then there is already the incentive to build robots specifically to gather information that might you might want to remain private. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in other words, if people do this behavior and if there's a way to to profit from that behavior, someone is going to act upon that. That is perfectly logical in the way our world works. It's not the bright beautiful future that I want where you know you, you can have these interactions and be be assured that they're between you and your the robot that you're talking to. Um, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, eventually you've just got <laughs> you've, you've just got do Android's dream of electric sheep yeah. kind of scenario where you've got probably a robot interrogating probably another robot. Right. There was this turtle that I came across on my way here. I just <laughs> yeah. left it there in the middle of the belt line. <laughs> well, no. First, you turned it over on its back. Yeah. And yeah. It's squirming in the hot It was sun. odd too because you would have You're thought it would have been a tortoise, not a turtle, but it was definitely a turtle. That was kind of strange. Well, there's ponds along the belt line. There are. There are. All right. So uh, socially intelligent robots is going to continue to be a thing. I'm, I am curious. Do you guys have any guess? Like, like, I know this is putting you on the spot, but like a prediction of when we will get to a point where a robot will be socially intelligent enough to interact in a, you know, a typical social setting. Let's say, I don't know, a cotillion. Oh, oh, 20 to 40 years. <laughs> Let's play it. Uh, no, um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I think I, I honestly, oh, technology is changing so fast these days. Well, I'm tempted to say some huge number, like like 50 to 100 years. I think my answer would play on the same thing I was just talking about a few minutes ago. It would mm-hmm. be the difference between something that's very convincingly human versus something that's just very socially pleasant and acceptable, but not necessarily but it's, it's like humanoid. a human. It's right. its own paradigm. It's yeah. its own thing. Uh, I think the latter is going to happen much sooner. In fact, you might argue that the latter already exists and is just going to be refined. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going with 15 years. Wow. 2030, that's when we're going to see robots capable of interacting in social situations as well as your typical human. Wow. That's, I, I, I believe that it could happen. I mean, I'm, I'm dubious. It seems like a lot of, I mean, we're, we're, we're coming a long way in terms of, uh, natural language processing and all of that. Yeah. But it's, it's so much. Mostly I'm confident that by 2030, no one's going to listen to this episode and fact check me. So <laughs> I'll be all right. It's, I feel pretty confident about that. That's a, that's a good way to play the it's game. A, it's, it's a fairly, a very, it's a fairly arbitrary number. No, I, it's kind of like price is right. You're just like, as long as you don't. Yeah, I, I think, um, I think, yeah, <laughs> I think that, uh, I think that we are making advances in the field of artificial intelligence at an incredible rate and that I think that rate is likely to stay steady. Now we should 
point out that these advances aren't on a path like Moore's law, right? They they oh, are they are not. far below the path of Moore's law. But uh, I do think that advances in various fields are pointing the way to incredible achievements in artificial intelligence. And I think that by 2030, having a robot capable of having a, a, a social interaction that would be more or less indistinguishable from a typical person, it's ambitious, but I think achievable. Uh, and if 2030 rolls around and it turns out that we had hit some obstacles we could not have anticipated, mm-hmm. you'll demand money. Yeah. Cash payout. To I'll be like, I want, I wanted my socially, my socially acceptable robot, but I will accept money in its place. <laughs> <laughs> That's almost always going to be the case, actually, Joe. <laughs> well, you know, I, I like, I like our range of, of optimism. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, you know, again, I think it's always important. You always have to acknowledge the fact that there are challenges. If you ignore that there are challenges, you're pretty much guaranteed to fail. You need to acknowledge the challenges so that you can figure out ways to overcome them on your quest to whatever your goal happens to be. In this case, creating a socially intelligent robot. Joe, you came up with the idea for this podcast. I think it was a lot of fun. It was, uh, it was entertaining and, and fun to research the various types of robots that are in this field. So thank you. Oh, thank you guys. Now, we also are getting tons of great uh, suggestions from you listeners out there. We want those to keep coming in because we really love the the fact that you're guiding the conversation. You're you're part of the conversation. Keep up the great work. Send us your suggestions for future episodes or even comments on past episodes to fwthinking at howstuffworks.com or drop us a line on Google Plus or Twitter or Facebook at Google Plus and Twitter. We are FW Thinking. At Facebook, just search FW Thinking in the search bar. We will pop right up. Leave us a message and we'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe Ventilation System exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe Ventilation System. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.